Hello and welcome once again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. In the earliest days of the church, persecution was being told not to speak about Jesus. Today, according to one organization, 11 Christians die every day because of their faith. How should we respond? Teaching team member Caleb Click continues the series, The Book of Acts, Growth Against All Odds, with this sermon entitled, The Nation's Rage, But Christ is King, which covers Acts chapter 4, verses 23 to 31. For more information and to watch or hear other messages, please visit our website at perimeter.org. Thank you for joining us today. Good morning, Perimeter Church. If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter 4. We're going to be starting in verse 23. And if you've been with us these past few weeks, we're in the midst of this series where we are walking our way through the book of Acts. And if you are a person who, is, uh, who buys stocks, you know this, this would be the moment to buy stock in the church. Uh, everything, by every human metric, is going well. The tomb is empty. Jesus has ascended into heaven. The Spirit has fallen in power at Pentecost. The apostles are preaching with power and with boldness, and thousands of people are being converted. And in the chapter, right before our text today, Peter and John, they've just walked into the courts of the temple, and they've performed a miracle that looks exactly like a miracle of Jesus. They see a man sitting at the gate, who has not walked for 40 years, a man who, as the text tells us, was born lame. And they tell him in the name of Jesus to get up and walk. And suddenly this man, he's dancing and he's leaping and he is singing praises to God so that everyone is astounded and they are looking at him and asking, how could this possibly be? And Peter and John say, we'll tell you. It is by faith in Jesus that this man has this perfect health that you all see. It is that Jesus that you crucified, but that Jesus that God raised. He was the answer to all the promises of the prophets. He's the one who blots out the sins of his people. He's the one who will restore all things, and he is the one who even now at this moment offers himself to you. And Acts 4, verse 4 says that many more believe so that the number of the church grew to 5,000. But it's right here. Right at this moment when the church seems to be cresting this tidal wave of momentum, it's right here, that that thing that Jesus warned them about, that his kingdom would come in power, but it would not come without conflict, that the same people who hated him, they would hate his church, it's right here that the church first experiences that reality. Because the same men who arrested Jesus the same ones who condemned him to die. They arrest Peter and John, and they tell them in no uncertain terms that they can believe in Jesus all they want, but there's one thing they absolutely cannot do, and that's speak of him. And they let him go because they can't figure out what to do with the leaping, dancing, singing guy outside. But hanging in the air, there's this threat, an unspoken but implicit threat. If you keep talking, if you keep preaching that Jesus is the Messiah, that the one we killed has risen from the grave, then the same thing we did to him, we're going to do to you. Acts chapter 4, verse 23 is the church's response. And as those who live in that same world, and who face that same opposition, this is a response in which we should join. 
Here's what it says, starting in verse 23. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported with the chief priests and the elders and said to them, and when they heard it, the threat that the religious leaders gave them, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly, in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed to the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. This is God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Heavenly Father, you are the sovereign Lord over all creation. And you are the one who speaks from this very text to us, your people, this morning. And so, Lord, we pray, take us wherever we are at, with whatever baggage we are carrying, with whatever fears are weighing us down, and, Lord, we pray that you would speak to us the words of life here through your word. That you would shake us, even as you shook the church in Acts, so that we would be a people who are unshaken in all things. We pray this in the precious name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. You know, when we read stories of persecution like we see here in the book of Acts, there's this part of us as those who live in the United States who just have a hard time conceptualizing it. You know, we don't live in an era where our lives are being presently threatened and where imprisonment feels like something that could be just around the bend. We face opposition. It's there. But not like this. But for our brothers and sisters around the globe, this is a living and breathing and daily reality. Every year, every year somewhere between three and 7,000 of our brothers and sisters in Christ are killed for the name of Jesus. Every year, thousands, thousands of members of our family are sent to prison because of their confession of Jesus' name. Hundreds of thousands have been displaced, and that's not an exaggeration, because they worship the God we worship in this church. In this past year alone, 10,000 churches were shut down, not because they lost members, but because the government decided they shouldn't exist. It's real. And as I cite all those statistics, you know, it, just, it feels distant, it feels removed, but what I want us not to lose sight of is that every single number we just mentioned, those are real people with real faces and real names and real families. It's people like 14-year-old Zaid, a teenage kid in Mosul, Iraq, who was walking across the street to show his friends the cell phone his aunt had just given him. 
and he was stopped by three Muslim men because he was the member of the only Christian family in that area. And they simply asked him this, are you a Christian? And when he said yes, they shot him three times in the chest. 14. People like Malak Ibrahim, an Egyptian man who was one of the 21 who was lined up on the coast of Libya, whose image we saw on all of our new screens, who was beheaded with the name of Jesus on his lips by Boko Haram just a couple years ago, who left behind a wife and a two-year-old little boy. People like Pastor Wang Yi, who in December 26, one day after Christmas, just a couple weeks ago, was sentenced to nine years in prison, not because of any crime, but because of his faithful witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's real. The nations that rage, that our text just spoke of, they are raging still. And that opposition to Jesus and his kingdom, it's not just somewhere out there, it's right here in our country too. It wears a different face, but it has exactly the same heart. It's that subtle whisper that subtle whisper that permeates our culture that says to us exactly what the religious leaders said to Peter and John, you can speak, you can believe in Jesus all you want, but there is one thing you must not do. You must not speak of him. And you must not live your life in such a way that it challenges the things that we love and the things that we value. You can take your faith and you can tuck it away in your closets and in your home, but you would better not let it spill out into the streets, into the halls of your office or the quarters of your school, because if you do, there is that unspoken but implicit threat, there will be a cost. And so the question for the church, the church in Acts, the church around the world, and the church right here in this room is this, what do we do in the face of that rage? Should we hide? Should we cower? Should we find a way to protect ourselves? Acts 4 says no. Here's what you do. We lift our voices as one and we pray, not for freedom from persecution, not for safety, not for better circumstances, we pray for boldness to continue to proclaim the name of Jesus because we know this to be true. The nations rage, but they rage in vain because in the end, only Jesus, only Jesus is king. This prayer, it's not just here so that we'd record this moment in church history. God gave us this prayer because he wanted to give us a model to follow. That we as God's people, we would pray first as those who remember who our God is. You know, this prayer, it doesn't start the way I would start. You know, if I was being threatened and I was hearing them whisper against me and say, if you keep speaking, we will kill you, the, the prayer I would pray would probably be, Lord, protect me. Put a hedge of protection around me. Silence my enemies. Keep my family safe. Do something. But notice where they start. They don't start with a request. They start with praise. They start by lifting their eyes to the heavens and saying, God, here is who we know you to be. Here is the God in whose hands we rest. 
the one who has saved us in Jesus and will never, ever let us go. They say in verse 24, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed, for truly, in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. The church of Jesus Christ, they hear the threats They feel that hand of persecution come upon them, and instead of looking around for the best strategy to keep themselves safe, they turn their eyes to heaven, and they say together, here is the identity of our God. Who is God? They say, Lord, you're the creator. You're the one who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything that is in them. Everything that we see, from the hairs on our head to the stars in the sky, they are the fruit of your creative power. All of our enemies, they shout out threats against us, but they do it with lungs that you gave them. They lift their fists and they shake them, but they do it with fists that you formed in their mother's womb. They have power, but it's a derivative power that comes from the only one who is truly the source, and that's you. They are the creation, and you are the creator, and we, we belong to you. You're the creator. But you're not just the creator. Notice what happens next. They say, God, you're the revealer. You're the one who didn't send your people out like sheep to the slaughter. But instead, you warned us, you revealed to us everything that was going to come so that we would know your plan and your purposes through your word. In tenderness, because you didn't want us to be surprised by what was ahead, you warned us, the voice of Jesus and through your word, that persecution, it was going to come. And they say this, you're the God who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. They take this psalm, this psalm of David, Psalm 2, this famous psalm where David is in this moment where he is experiencing himself, the rage of the nations. He is the Lord's anointed and Saul and the Philistines, all of them are after one thing, they want David's head. And David is saying to the Lord, I know that all that rage, it is in vain because I am in your hands. But here's what the church is confessing in Acts chapter 4. It's the David, to steal a line from G. Campbell Morgan, when he's saying this hymn, this psalm, he's saying better than he knew and fuller than he thought. Because behind his words was God's spirit revealing to his people the coming of one who would make David and all of his accomplishments look like nothing. David started with his circumstances. 
But what he ended up with in Psalm 2, it was the promise of someone much greater. Of one who would do what David never did and what David never could do. Of one who in the language of Psalm 2 would be a son of God whose kingdom would not just cover a little bitty piece of earth, but would spread over every square inch of God's creation, who would take a rod of iron and would smash all the enemies of God like they were so many pots of clay, and who says, and who says to all who listen, kiss the son lest he be angry and you perish in the way, but blessed. Blessed is the one who finds refuge in him. It's an anointed one who says even to his enemies, if you resist me, I will destroy you, but if you come to me, I will be your refuge and your salvation. And the church, the people of God, they read that psalm, and almost from day one they knew this was not David. And they waited day after day after day for that figure to finally come. And what the church is saying here is we don't need to wait any longer. He has come and we have seen him. The nations raged and the peoples plotted. Verse 27, for truly, truly, because we are witnesses to this thing. In this city, the very city where we're praying, They were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate. Herod, who represented the authority of the Jews, and Pilate, who represented the authority of Rome. Men who were enemies in everything except for this, when they stood against the Lord's anointed son. Along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel. Church says... Lord, you, you revealed that this would come. You told us long before that when your son came, he would be resisted, that the nations would rage and they would join against him, and we have seen that happen right here in this very city, but you have revealed even more than that. You revealed that we as your people, as those who now represent your son in the world, we would experience that same opposition. But God, he reveals one thing more. All that rage, all that plotting, it's what? It's in vain. Why? Because the creator and the revealer, he's also the king. He's the one who has established his reign over all things and even here, at the moment where it looks like the nations have won the war because they have crucified the Son, even here, all they have managed to do, verse 28, is whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. You want to know the comfort of the believer? You want to know why the church was able to stand on the blood-soaked ground of the Colosseum and sing praises to God? It's because of this. It's because they looked to the heavens and they saw the sovereign Lord who in love and in mercy entered into space and time and history, the very fabric of this world. 
and took on human flesh and willingly submitted himself to death at the hands of evil men. Not that evil would win, but that death would die and evil would be defeated. The God who didn't just say that nothing will take place except what my hand and my plan have predestined to take place, but who has shown that to them before their very eyes in Jesus because Jesus came and Jesus died, but God raised him. And the one they call king, he is sitting at the Father's right hand on a throne he will never leave, and he is the one who even now holds his people fast. He's the king. You know, we're about to enter in to what may be my least favorite season in the United States, and that's an election year. Uh, Everyone's about to temporarily lose their minds. We're all gonna go nuts, every single one of us, And you're going to go on to your social media, and it's going to be an even worse cesspool than it was before. Everyone's going to shout. Everyone's going to be angry. There's going to be anxiety and fear and people thinking the worst about absolutely everybody. But as I'm just reading this text, the thing that comes to my mind, this would be my prayer for the church. It's that for once, in the midst of all this chaos, all the anxiety and the fear and the worry that is just permeating the air around us, that we would be a people who instead of letting our anxiety and our fear and our anger testify to hearts that have put their faith in passing kings and passing kingdoms, that instead we would be a people whose love and joy and hope and peace reflects faith in a king who doesn't pass away and whose kingdom doesn't crumble into dust, but whose reign is eternal and whose kingdom is permanent. That we would be those in the midst of a shaking world who are unmoved because we know who sits on the throne. Do elections matter? Yeah. Are they ultimate? No. Because what happens? What happens if the person you think would be the absolute worst candidate gets into office? What happens if they pass every law and every plan and policy they have that you think would be the absolute worst? Do they pull Jesus back into the tomb? Are they going to destroy Christ's church? Are they gonna take Jesus off the throne? Or are they going to do only what God's hand and God's plan have predestined to take place for the good of his people and the glory of his name? Jesus Christ is king. Presidents come and go. Congressmen come and go. Countries, even the U.S., they come and they go. But there is one who sits on the throne and he will never, ever leave it. The church in Acts, they see it. They look at all the enemies who are threatening them, who thought that they could destroy Jesus and his kingdom by putting him to death, but all they ended up doing for all of their rage is just establishing his kingdom. The stone the builders rejected became the cornerstone. Satan thought that death would swallow Jesus, and then Jesus swallowed death. Satan thought that he could claim a victory over the Son of God, but all he ended up doing was perpetuate his own defeat. God's people, the nations, they joined their hands together and committed the greatest sin man could ever imagine, and yet God took that very same thing, 
that very evil and he used it to give man the greatest gift he could ever receive. And the one on the cross who looked like a man without a refuge, he became the refuge for sinners, even the very worst, even people like you and people like me. Calvin says that our king, he has a bit and a bridle in the mouth of the devil and all the wicked so that they cannot do God's people any real harm. If you want to put it crassly, Jesus rides Satan like a horse. He can't do anything. Remember your God. And don't just remember him. Embrace him. And embrace him in prayer. That's what the church does in this prayer. You know, they start off in a place that I wouldn't have started off with, but then when they move to the request, they don't make the request that I would make. They don't ask for safety, they don't ask for protection, they don't ask for the destruction of their enemies, Uh, they don't ask that God would give them an excuse to maybe go quiet for a while until they could wait for the storm to pass. No, the church, they come before the God who reigns in heaven and on earth and they pray something that is absolutely insane unless what we have just confessed about God is actually true. Look at what they say. And now, verse 29, Lord, look upon their threats, See the rage of the nations, the same rage that was directed at your son and now is directed at your people. And grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus They say, God... We have found our refuge in your son. We know that there is nothing that the nations can do against us except what your plan and your hand is predestined to take place. We know, as Paul said in Philippians 2, that if we live, that means fruitful labor for us, but if we die, that means we go to be with Jesus, so really there's not much they can do to hurt us. And so the prayer of the church It's not for victory, they know they have that. The prayer of the church is for the boldness to live as though the gospel's actually true. And that as they continue to speak, God would move in such a way that the name of Jesus would be vindicated in the eyes of all the world and the God they know him to be would be the God he is revealed to be before the eyes of the nations. The need of God's people in the face of the raging of the nations and the plotting of the peoples. It's not safety. We have it. It's boldness. You know, as I was looking at this text and praying through it this week, it hit me that I don't think I pray for this very often. I pray for opportunities to share the gospel. I pray for specific people that I want to see come to Christ, but boldness... That's not one I think to pray for very often, and yet it's something that I desperately need. When I was in seminary, uh, I worked part-time as a personal trainer, which if you're ever thinking about going to seminary, it's a great seminary job. It works around your schedule, and if you like to work out, you get to work out, it's awesome. But here's what I did not expect about this job. It became the most ripe field for ministry I've almost ever experienced. 
And I don't know what it was. I don't know if it was just that people were tired and so their filters went down and, or if it's because they were already telling me everything that they ate and drank throughout the day and they thought, well, these are pretty intimate details, so here's some more stuff too. But people would just tell me stuff. I would hear about their husband's affair and about their childhood abuse. I would hear about their worries and their anxieties and their fears. And I would find myself over and over and over again in these conversations where inevitably I'd have to start talking about Jesus. And we would quit working out and we'd be walking around in circles around the gym and I'm walking them through what the gospel is going, I didn't even pray for this to happen. I don't know what's happening. And it was happening over and over and over again. But here is the one piece, the one thing that has stuck with me to this day. One of the guys that I had become really close with, a guy that I had for months been talking about the gospel with, we were talking one day and he said, Caleb, and he named the name of one of the trainers I worked with, and he said, you know this guy? I said, yeah. You and him are pretty good friends, right? I said, yeah. And he said, and you have a lot in common. You both like to work out, you both work at this gym, you work out together pretty much every day, your wives hang out together sometimes, you get together as a couple, but you've got more than that, don't you? You know, you're, you're in seminary preparing to be a pastor, and while he's working as a personal trainer now, he used to be in seminary, training to be a Catholic priest, but then he lost his faith. And I'm just wondering because he and I were talking a few days ago, I'm just wondering why it is that you have all that in common but you've never, ever talked to him about it. Why have you talked with me about Jesus and not him? And I have no idea what I said to him, but I remember vividly the answer that was in my heart. It was just this. It was because I was scared. I had nothing to be scared of. The guy we were talking about was a gracious guy and it probably wouldn't have changed our friendship one iota, but I was scared. I needed the boldness, the boldness that only God can give. And it's not just me, it's all of us. You know, the church in Acts, they're not that different from you and me. These are the same men and women who ran for the hills when Jesus was arrested. This is the same Peter who denied his friend three times when the cross started looming larger. They're not bold people. These are a people who need a boldness they do not possess, a boldness that only God can give, and I do not want you to miss this. It is a boldness that God freely graciously and powerfully bestows. He shakes the room that they are in. He fills them with his spirit. And it says in verse 31 that they continue to speak the word with boldness. They remembered their God. And they embraced him in prayer and God, he gave them what they needed in full. The nations rage, but they rage in vain, because in the end, only Jesus, only Jesus is king. I've been reading through all these stories of persecution this week, of things that have been going on around the world, and 
I, don't, I wish I could share all of them with you, but there was one in particular that struck me. It's a story of a Nigerian pastor named Lawan Andimi, who on January 2nd, just a couple weeks ago, was kidnapped by Boko Haram. He was kidnapped because he was a pastor, because they know that if they strike the shepherd, they scatter the sheep. And if you've ever paid any attention to what Boko Haram does, they're in a group associated with ISIS, there's usually two videos that follow a kidnapping. The first video is a video of the person begging for their life and asking for their friends and family and the government to pay some ransom to do something to get their release. And then the second video is the video that happens if the ransom isn't paid and the person does not renounce Jesus. It's usually an execution. Luan Andimi's video, it didn't follow the script. It starts off with him saying what they asked him to say. He asks his government and his church and his family to do whatever they can to secure his release. But then Luan Andimi said this, by the grace of God, I will be together with my wife, my children, and my colleagues but if the opportunity has not been granted, if this ends in my death, maybe it is the will of God. Be patient, don't cry, don't worry, but thank God for everything. I believe that he made them to act in such a way as still alive, the resurrected king, and he will make all arrangements. I have never been discouraged because all conditions that one finds himself are in the hands of God, God who made them to take care of me and to leave me with my life. There's a man who hasn't forgotten who his God is. He's not just remembering, but who is embracing him body and soul. And what one of his pastors, one of the guys that he labored with in Nigeria said was this, in the lion's den, he said to death, to hell with you, I am not afraid. That's boldness. That's the boldness that only Jesus can give. That's the boldness that we desperately need. And it is a boldness. It is a boldness that God delights to bestow on his people through his spirit. The nation's rage but they rage in vain because Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, our Savior, he's the king. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful, Lord, this morning that whether we are fearful or whether we are bold at this moment, it doesn't change this one fact, we rest in your hands. And Lord, we're grateful that our hope, it doesn't rest in the size of our faith, but the size of our Savior. And so Lord, we ask this morning that you would take our hearts, take our lives, take all that we are, and Lord, wherever we are fearful, Lord, we pray, still our hearts, fill us with your spirit, and Lord, give us the boldness we so desperately need. We ask all this in the precious name of Jesus, amen. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church Podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. 
please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and find other messages from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day.